I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Promman and Chris Peters of Flow Hockey for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. And guys, I'm going to shock you with our first topic today as we dig into some of the rookies. I think we're going to talk about Connor Bedard. No. Two games into his career, a uh, couple points on the board. He's got his first goal out of the way. He's on prime time. As advertised, I think I would say. Has a super awkward conversation with Sidney Crosby before uh, yeah. opening night. Yeah. The- oh, I thought it was wonderful. There's been a lot of good Bedard stuff, and, and I think uh, I think that had potential. I saw the potential in it, but it you know it, he definitely looked like he knew he was in a uh, staged environment. I guess we should say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. That was yeah, that was that was kind of interesting. It was more it was more interesting, you know, when they both got to the faceoff circle, and uh, Crosby absolutely cleaned his clock on the opening draw, um, just with with. The cleanest face-off win you could ever have. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's always kind of the issue when you have an 18-year-old center. Like Jack Hughes was dealing with that in his first few yes. years, right? It's just it's tough. When you, when you don't have the man strength, to, that's going to be a routine thing for Bedard, I imagine, in his first year or two in the NHL. Yeah, it is. And and, and that will be one of the many ways that stuff like that shows up. But I, I think as we're seeing through two games is his brand of hockey is going to translate pretty well too he's he's getting his shots he's finding ways to to get his entries even a lot of attention being paid to him um, he is finding ways to make real impacts on these games and playing a ton like he's like he's their go-to player right out of the gate and we'll see what their record is by the end of the year I presume it won't be uh, a great win-loss record by the end of the year 
but he, he looks like he's going to be the guy they lean on all season. And like you said, the skill is showing in significant ways. You know, the, he runs their power plays, getting a lot of shot attempts and scoring chances. Playmaking looks very strong. I think you also see at times that he is a barely five foot ten, eighteen year old player, and uh, when he's trying to come into the zone or go into the corners, there's sometimes he gets pushed off the puck rather easily. Uh, but that that's just going to be part of the adjustment period there for him. But it, it, he looks like. A, a, I'm not sure if he'll be. He's an impact player right away. We'll see how he does over the course in the next few weeks and months. But he looks like he'll be a really good NHL player right away. Yeah, and to Max's point too, the amount of respect paid to Bedard's offensive capability by the you know especially by the Penguins in that first game on the power play where Nolachari was basically shadowing him on the power play, like right. really fading towards Bedard as best he yeah. could. It felt um, like the Alex Ovechkin treatment a little bit, right? It, it, it was. And as we've seen with Alex Ovechkin, you can do that all you want. It really doesn't matter. He's still going to do it. And he's still going to find a way. But, you know, and I so I think that'll be, you know, Connor's adjustment is finding a finding a way to, you know, kind of escape that pressure. You know, that might also have to be a, a bit of a scheme thing, too, from uh, from Chicago with their power play, making sure they get him different looks. He can score from anywhere. So, you know, trying to get him moving around. Um, you know, but I, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. You, you look at the, the Chicago's top power play unit and it's got a lot of pop. And then like Nick Felino is like on their second power play unit. So, you know, like it's kind of, that's kind of where we're, where we're at with Chicago. So like there, there is going to be continued pain, but it's still going to be a lot of fun to watch them just because of the one guy. And when he's playing the minutes that he's playing, as Corey mentioned, you know, Chicago is going to give him every opportunity to succeed, to point it up, to, you know, to to play with good players and to be on the first power play. Um, you know, I think that the the question will be as we go on the wear and tear of the long season, um, the different things that, he, you know, the, the different pressures that are going to come with him. All of them, you know, he's he's every intermission interview. He is every pre and post. He's every you know, he's on Pat McAfee in a car, you know, like he's doing all this stuff and. At some point, you know, you, you do wonder, you know, how much can Connor handle? I, I think he's uniquely qualified to handle it because he's been doing it for so long. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like, man, this guy is going to have a lot riding on his shoulders all year. I think one distinction between the Chicago power play and the Washington power play and why Ovechkin always finds a way to quote unquote get open is they have other weapons on there that you have to respect. And not that yeah. Taylor Hall isn't a good player. Seth Jones isn't a really good player. It's just, I think, just it's just uh, different how you can play against Chicago's power play as it currently sure. stands against the you know the Washington power plays over the years that have had John Carlson and Mike Green and Kuznets, Sullivan, Nick Backstrom, and Oshie and all and all the other great players. Yeah, yeah. Chris made the point about you know having to get him moving and get and get other looks. Part of that too for Chicago is just going to have to be demonstrating that other guys on that power play can beat you, and and if that mm-hmm. starts happening he will get a little more space back. But it's going to be on some of those guys to put some power play goals up early in the year and, and force teams to, to react to that too. Um, we did a roundtable a couple of days ago, Corey. Well, not so much a roundtable. It was just you and Scott uh, talking about some of your rookie expectations. And you, you had a comment in that. I think you said you, you would prefer Bedard to the field if you were handicapping the Calder race right now. But I, I'm going to narrow it a little bit. We will talk about the rest of the rookies here, but I want to talk about two centermen who I think are in a little bit different of a situation than Bedard, Logan Cooley and Adam Fantilli, uh, both players who have played college hockey, 
Cooley's not a, a huge guy. Fantilli does have a significant kind of size build difference, but both have played, I think, more physical hockey to this point in their careers than Bedard has. Um, obviously, we know the skill of Bedard. We know, we, I think, you know, you, you said you, you're taking Bedard against the field. I took Cooley when, I, when we submitted our staff predictions uh, at The Athletic. I want to know how wide is the gap and how shocked would you be? What would what would Cooley and Fantilli have to do in order to really give Bedard a run? Well, for one, they need the opportunity. I mean, you look to Fantilli, who I thought looked excellent in his first NHL game last night, but he's not on the first power play unit because you know, they have other good players. They have Johnny Cadrill. They have Patrick Laine. So, and well, they had Zach Rowinski, and now and we'll see when he comes back. So, but that's going to be. Uh, something he will need to prove is that he can put together good game after good game and work his way to the top of the lineup and onto the first power play unit. That's something that he won't have against Bedard. And, you know, Cooley is, I don't know if Arizona's forward group is as good as uh, Columbus's, but they, you know, they have some good options there too. So he'll need to prove he can be the guy that needs to be, you know, their go-to guy. I think that's the distinction. Obviously, uh, Cooley's uh, an older player, has had success against older players in college, and is a strong Calder candidate and had a great preseason. But the preseason is not the regular season. We've seen this with a bunch of other guys who had strong preseasons and then that first NHL game rolls around and things look a lot differently. Uh, so so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I think Cooley with his skating and his skill and his compete uh, absolutely could win the Calder. And it wouldn't surprise me if either right away or very quickly he becomes a go-to player for Arizona. Yeah, I, I think it comes. It all comes down to opportunity, as Corey said. And you look at and through two games, Connor Bedard has averaged twenty one minutes and thirty seven seconds of ice time. You know that's a lot of opportunity with a player that shoots as much as he does, which gets pucks on net as much as he does. You know the points are going to come in that in that way. Um, and so you know I I also think that Cooley is probably the, his strongest competition because he will be similarly leaned on by Arizona and and will have to be. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's going to be, you know, the separating factor. Um, what I will say about Fantilli is, I mean, it is so clear that, you know, I always wondered if he was going to be, you know, just kind of, he, he's a different cat in terms of, you know, the way that he handles himself, the way that he kind of carries himself compared to Connor. He's not as like polished and like, it, 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 I mean that in a good way. I mean it in a good way. He's still very mature and everything else. But I just think that he he almost is just kind of like playing with house money right now, which I think is a dangerous thing for 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 any, you know, for him, not not for him, but for like everybody else, because he just doesn't seem to know what he doesn't know. And he's really enjoying that. And I I mean, I like the way he looked for Columbus. I think that there's going to be a lot there. Um, You know, they're not the only guys, I think, that, that are, you know, legitimate threats here. But I mean, yeah, those two players in particular, especially given the fact that they, you know, had historic freshman seasons in college hockey, and we've seen the transition that NCAA players have made to the NHL so smoothly over the last few years, they're definitely a threat uh, to contend here. Yeah, to, to your point about the ice time, you know, you talk about Bedard or 21 and a half, Fantilli's at 1340 in, in his first game. So there right. is a, a hill to climb there to get that. For sure. But you, you, when you refer to the history of college hockey players, Matty Beneers came out of that same program, and Fantilli had a better season than him. And Beneers came out, and he won the Calder. And so I don't right. think a, dramat- a dramatically better season than right. him. Uh, you know, and it's not against Matty, who's I think is a superstar. It's just like Adam, just yeah. dramatically one of the better. one of the best one of the best we've seen. 
Yeah. Right. So, so you know, I'm yeah. not saying that that Fantilli has to come out and be a point per game, you know, 200 foot, you know, dynamic centerman. But I think it's it's within their own possibility that he puts up numbers, you know, on par with with what Beniers did. And if he does that, that we have seen, that's a recipe to be really competitive for the Calder yeah. Trophy. It does come back to the opportunity. Beniers had an easier path to a role than even Fantilli. And I just think if we're talking about who's actually going to win the Calder, not who we think is going to have a good year, or who we think should win it. I just think with everything that's been going on with Bedard over the last two, three years, uh, with all the, with all that's been written and said about him, with all the media attention, the Pat McAfee stuff of the world, like I think if it's even like remotely close, he's winning it. There's, oh, there's for sure. no like, the the next best player will have to have had scored like fifteen more points, something like that. I think to to actually win it. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't think that. Calder Trophy voters aren't obsessed with the narrative. Don't think it, because unfortunately, we're all the creators of certain narratives, and that's who votes on it. So, you know, like, that's that's the thing is, like, I mean, that's how Connor McDavid almost won with half a season, too. And that's so. what I mean, is, is that the, everybody who's been hyping this player up for the last two years are also the voters of the award. So, right. It's, right. As, as I just... He will, somebody else will need to have an absolutely incredible season or Bedard has to get injured or, or something, I think, right. for him not to win it. Yeah, right. the, the, the comparable would probably be like Rasmus Dahlin was outstanding in his rookie year, but Elias Pettersson was just undeniably the Calder Trophy winner that year. It probably does need to be yeah. something like that. Yeah, and, and like Panarin over over McDavid or, you know, those, those that was the one, right? Yeah, so like, you know, that, and, and he was, basically riding shotgun to the Hart Trophy winner that year. So, you know, that's that's just it's it's fascinating to to kind of see where this is going to go, but yeah, I mean, I you know, and I I do think some of the defensemen will get involved, but I don't think that they're going to point up enough to to really challenge the the forwards that we mentioned, but yeah, I mean, like that's I I just I'm so excited about this rookie class because because of Bedard, but then you just see there's so many layers to it and so many different players and there's even these unexpected guys that I I know we're going to talk about later that that have, have found a way onto the roster. So you know, this is a really intriguing class. And, and it, I think every rookie class brings some level of intrigue and excitement, but this one just feels bigger and better somehow. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see how this all plays out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we are back. And Chris, right before the break, as we talk about kind of the the rookies, the Calder race, you mentioned some of the defensemen who could try to get into this race. And I think the name that's going to come to mind for a lot of people right away there is Luke Hughes in New Jersey. I was at the Red Wings Devils opener the other night. And surprise, surprise, Corey, 
It is Luke Hughes on Power Play 1 for a legit President's Trophy candidate team, the New Jersey Devils. Uh, that certainly uh, is part of the recipe if he's going to get into this mix, is, is picking up those sweet, sweet Power Play 1 points. Right, and we'll see whether that you know, continues all season. Uh, New Jersey's paying Dougie Hamilton a lot of money to be an offensive contributor for them. And so that, that could be something that flips him you know, over the course of the season. But, but Luke has the skating and the skill. Uh, and he has decent chemistry with one of the players on that team as well. And <laughs> it makes sense to put him on uh, the first power play unit. Uh, but yeah, he's a guy that, I get whether he can get into the mix with guys like Bedard and Cooley in terms of offense is something we'll see over the course of the year. And, I don't, and he only got, I think, about 17 minutes in that first game. But that is definitely a great opportunity. And he has the talent to be able to maximize on that opportunity. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think it's really those guys that got a taste of the league last year, um, guys like Luke Hughes and Matt Nyes and, and, and you know, even like Coronado and uh, others that, that just at least got a game or got experience. And this was actually, I think, tremendously helpful for Quinn Hughes in his rookie year. He, I think he got seven games with the Canucks before um, the season was over. And, so Luke is kind of coming in eyes wide open to this. And, and then when you get an opportunity, that starts to build the confidence. And I think that Luke Hughes has always been a player that thrives when in those situations where he's confident. I don't think he ever lacks confidence with the puck on his stick. Um, and I don't, I, you know, we haven't seen that at the world championship. We haven't seen that even at the NHL last year where he did get a goal, um, you know, and, and, and certainly has kind of started that trajectory, but yeah, but I mean, it, it's, it is going to come down to the level of minutes that he plays if he ends up on power play one. I mean, there's, there's obviously an opportunity for him to, to really throw up some really nice points, but you know, we're talking, if you're going to be a defenseman, that's going to win the Calder, it's probably going to be a 50 to, you know, a 50 point season. How many defensemen are we going to see do that? Um, You know, something of that nature, unless, you know, there's a lot of goals in there and then there, you know, you're obviously part of a team that's pushing for, you know, great success in the, in the postseason as well. Um, you know, so I, I mean, Luke is, is fascinating. And then the fact that, you know, Lindy Ruff with his, with his brand new extension is just like, let's see what the kid can do on, on power play one. And uh, I'm, I'm love it in the, in the Lindy Ruff, just like let the kids play season. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. Not, I don't think a real Calder threat, but probably the other premium D prospect getting real minutes out of the gates is Kevin Korchinski with, with Chicago, you know, top four, he is getting on the second power play unit there for them. Uh, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do with Korczynski during the season. Is he an all-year guy with them? I don't think he's a nine-game guy. I think they will look at him longer than that. Right. But I think the question is whether he goes past the 40-game mark and tolls the first-year free agency, or does he get sent back to, to the juniors? After that, it go to the World Juniors for Team Canada. I think those are all questions with Korczynski. I mean, when you watch him in the NHL, his skating clearly stands out at that level already. He's mm-hmm. a clear, I think, above-average NHL skater. I think with him... Uh, given that his game is offense, I think from what I've seen in the, those first two games, I think his puck moving and, and his decision making, well, not, you know, I think he he moves pucks well, he has skill. I think those are going to need to be a little crisper over the course of the coming months for him to stay in the NHL full time this season. Uh, but I think he looks like a really interesting young player for Chicago and I mean, they, I mean, that team is so young. They got him. They have Alex Vlasic. They have Wyatt Kaiser in their blue line. Lucas Reichel is their second line center with Bedard as their first line center. It's just a very, very young team right now. Yeah. And I think with Korchinski in particular, you know, as as a, you know, a teenage defenseman and as a guy that that, you know, there 
I, I'm not as convinced that, yeah, like, like you, Corey, I think that there's probably more that he can do. And I also think kind of getting him away from the, the what's going to be a lot of losses might also not be the worst thing in the world. But, you know, I, I do think that what we saw skating was really good. Puck decisions were a little panicky. Uh, I saw a lot of pucks thrown into space to nowhere um, a couple times. And then, but then you see the rush where he gets a, a good scoring opportunity with that speed to burst up and, and, you know, create a scoring chance for himself. And he, he got stopped, but you know, that's a, another one, but I did want to mention one other defenseman who's not going to get the points. I don't think, but who I think will be among the most impactful rookie defenseman this year. And that's Brock Faber from the Minnesota wild. 21 minutes and 33 seconds and the first goal of his career um, obviously played big, uh, big minutes in the postseason last year and more than held his own defensive prowess does not win you the Calder trophy, but it may make you a, a very impactful player. I think Brock Faber is going to make a significant impact on the wild blue line this year. The fact that he is already on the board is, is a good thing. Um, you know, his first shot, first goal. Um, but yeah, the 21 minutes and 33 seconds on opening night, um, he is going to get leaned on and I think he can handle it. And Pavel Minchikov, another guy too in Anaheim. I mean, very young player, another very young team in general. We'll see when Leo Carlson comes back from injury. That should be a very young and exciting team. Uh, and Minchikov, uh, you know, wins the training camp battle with Jackson Lacombe and Olin Zellweger and Tristan Luno. Uh, Luno is still with the team. Zellweger is now in the American League, but I think all those guys had strong camps. Uh, and, but, but Minchikov with his skill and his skating, uh, will be a guy we really should see how he is used. I'll be interested to see how they use him compared to Jamie Drysdale. You know, who is going to be guys leaned on offensively? Who are going to be guys who are maybe more defensively minded? That will be a, uh, given that they're both, I think, you know, really talented, but not, I would say, premier shutdown type of players. I'll be curious to see how Anaheim uses those guys. Speaking of positions where it, it really does take something pretty Herculean to to really contend, even in a non, you know, Bedard Fintilli Cooley year. Uh, Devin Levi, I think, is the goaltender who seems to have the, the path toward that kind of season. Um, in the opener last night, the Sabres get run. They, they lose five to one. And obviously, I don't think we're going to pin that on Devin Levi here on night one. But I, I do wonder, what did you guys see in that game from Levi? Were you able to watch it? What, what did you think? Any kind of indications on whether Levi's ready to carry the kind of load that it seems like Buffalo might need him to? I think he does. He's a really good goalie to start. I mean, you know, very athletic, very intelligent. Uh, you know, he's shown in his collegiate career that he can impact games. Uh, but there will be the size question with Levi. Uh, just as a reason why he was a seventh round pick uh, is that he doesn't have, you know, a big frame. He doesn't have, say, I think, in my opinion, while he's very quick, I don't think he has, say, Igor Shesterkin quickness at that size, or you say sorrow quickness. So that's why he said of a third round pick, he was a seventh round pick. Uh, so I think that's what he's going to have to prove is that he can make the tough saves in the NHL and do so consistently. And, and when it comes to size of the goalies, I think people sometimes hear that. And at least when I read my comments or my, my social mentions, and they think that, that this it's not important, but I, I think there's a reason why I see in the NHL draft, uh, it's pretty rare for a goalie under six foot two to get drafted, even. And it's just because it just says there's not a whole lot of history of success at those smaller goalies outside of those examples that I mentioned earlier. 
of being legitimate players that help you win in the NHL. And it's, it comes down to just how fast the game moves. You know, you have to make those side-to-side saves and cover, uncover net real, really quickly. And then there's those moments, like, say, the, the Chris Kreider typical against Devin Levi last night, where he, he doesn't do anything wrong, but the puck just kind of squeezes by him. And you wonder, well, if he was just a little bit bigger, does, does the puck maybe graze him instead of get by him? It's hard to know. You hear the same thing when scouts watch Dustin Wolf in the preseason kind of thing. There's shots that kind of just get right by his shoulder, by his arm, and you'll wonder if he was a little bit bigger, does that change things? So I think that's going to be the question with Levi. Is I think he's a good goalie. I think he can be a starting goalie in the NHL. But what I think is really interesting with their situation is Buffalo, who just signed one power to a big deal, who just signed Rasmus Dallin to that big deal, who had a, a premier offense in the NHL last season, Looks like a team that's trying to make the playoffs this year. That should be a playoff contender this season. And I can't remember a lot of situations where a team with those kind of aspirations basically handed their net to a guy with five pro games. Uh, and he could very well do it. Uh, but it's it's hard to think of, of recent history where that happened. At least when Florida did it with Spencer Knight. You know, in the you know, they had Sergei Bobrovsky there, and and obviously when Knight faltered, they can go to Bobrovsky. Yeah, I mean, we we were talking before the show, even just trying to find rookies, and the, the one that came to mind is Jordan Bennington, but it's such a different rookie, right? Like you talk about, it's not just the NHL experience we're talking about. We're talking about pro experience, and Bennington had that for sure. This is Levi's real first extended run of pro hockey, so it, it is a pretty significant difference. Yeah, that's a that's a huge point, Max, because most goalies. Most goalies that are the top of the class goalies have played in the AHL yeah. almost a full season. We look at the Minnesota Wild, like Jesper Wallstedt might be the best goalie prospect in the world right now, and he is in the AHL for a second season. Um, obviously, Minnesota has two veteran goaltenders. That's They're in a different situation than Buffalo is in terms of what they have at their disposal for goaltending. But what the Sabres are doing with Levi is lar- like it doesn't happen often, if ever. Even, you know, like Carter Hart probably needed to spend more time in the AHL. And and they brought like that was a big debate and they brought him up. And I still think that that was the wrong decision to bring him up as early as they did, even though he played well that season. Because I think that there's a lot of different things that have to happen, you know, different different kind of benchmarks that goalies have to clear. Now, Devin Levi is special in a lot of ways. He was one of the best collegiate goalies that we've ever seen, probably, you know, among the best since Ryan Miller, which is saying a lot. And in terms of, you know, what he did, but it still is what the Sabres are doing goes against the grain, not saying it's wrong, but it goes against the grain of of how goalies have typically been developed for NHL success. Um, There just aren't many like him. Yeah, you mentioned Carter Hart's a good one. I think it's like Carey Price. He came in as a 20-year-old after that yeah. really good 19-year-old. Like it's, it's just very hard to think of examples. Like it doesn't mean that Levi can't have success. He might have the next Carter Hart rookie season. He might have the next Carey Price rookie season. You know, he, it's very possible. I you know, Price may be a little bit over over the top there, but but it's possible he has a good year. I'm just surprised, given where Buffalo is as a team, that this is the plan. That in the off season there wasn't, I, I Eric Eric Comer is fine, but I, I'm surprised there wasn't a more substantive plan B put in there that I'm a veteran goalie, uh, in case Levi 
shows he can do it, which we're not there yet. He was really good at the end of last season. It's just one game. We'll uh, we'll see where we are by November and December before we say that he's not ready. And I guess quickly, one more saber I want to hit while we're on them is, is Zach Benson, who, you know, we'll see how long. He seems like he's another one in that category that's maybe – Let's think to the nine game mark before we start talking about a whole rookie season here. But he gets he's getting top nine minutes to start out here. And mm-hmm. he obviously he, he earned his way in, into this opportunity with his camp. What's what's reasonable to expect? What are you looking for with Zach Benson? Really strong preseason, looked solid in the first game. Obviously, extremely skilled and intelligent, and he competes well. And you kind of saw, even as a smaller guy, he was willing to get in there physically uh, last night. I think with with Benson is the the frame is a concern. I don't you think you kind of saw in the first NHL game that his skating is not up to NHL standards for a smaller guy, so that is a concern. But Benson is here because of how good a player he is, and, and because probably because Buffalo isn't too keen on sending him back to junior, where he'll probably score two points a game. But he's also here because of Jack Quinn. If Jack Quinn was healthy, he's not in the lineup. But now, but Jack Quinn isn't healthy, and he's going to be out for several months. So maybe Benson does get beyond nine games. He's kind of in that Kevin Korczynski realm where he stays until December, and then he goes to the World Junior Camp, and then and then he plays the second half of the year on a contender, which we don't think Wenatchee will likely will be. So I think those are all possible things for Benson. He's looked like he belongs right now. Not it belongs in that he's, I think, going to substantially help Buffalo win games. But when I've been watching the junior players, you know, he's looked like he's belonged, whereas, you know, then there's... You know, Fraser Minton, who I thought in the first game was just okay, frankly, for Toronto. And then you have Matt Poitras for Boston, who also I thought looked quite solid. Yeah, those are two guys I want to get to as well. Uh, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll circle back on some of those other guys that maybe are kind of the more in the, in the dark horse tier. They're, they're really rookies to watch more than so much the call here. We're going to talk about them right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, fellas. Uh, right before the break, Corey was talking about a couple of the guys who who have kind of come onto the scene this preseason, uh, and, and maybe the most notable in Boston, a team that so badly is going to need uh, a young center to step up in the near future. It's early, but Matthew Poitra looks like he might be able to do that, it, whether it's you know this year or very soon. Uh, comes off a great preseason, makes a team out of camp. We'll see where it goes, but off to a pretty solid start here. Uh, yeah, I mean, extremely solid start considering how good he was in the preseason. And like I said earlier in the show, I have seen a lot of good preseasons die on the first night of the regular season when all the NHL players are in the lineup and they're actually trying to win. And and the game changes substantially from what you saw one or two weeks earlier. But I thought Poitras was quite good against Chicago. Like he was making plays, he was competing, he was getting involved in the offense. You know, the reason that he went late in the second round is he's a 5'11 forward who I don't think is a great skater. And I still thought when you watch him in the NHL, uh, his speed does not really stand out at that level. But it's kind of interesting because when you think of the centers that Boston just lost in the offseason, in David Krejci 
and Patrice Bergeron, I wouldn't have called them blazing fast skaters also, but their their hockey sense and their competitiveness, uh, particularly their hockey sense, uh, were things that drove them to success. And Poitras' uh, – sorry, I keep butchering his name. Poitras' uh, hockey sense uh, has stood out in, in a major way. Like he's on their power play as a 19-year-old. It's really impressive. And I – you know, as an I, if he does this, I was way off on the player just from his draft evaluation and summer evaluation. I did not see this coming at all. I didn't even think he would make the world junior team, frankly. But it's interesting, even talking to the scouts who watched him in the OHL. I would talk to the odd scout uh, this fall who thought he could have done this, who, who was a big believer in the player. But most NHL scouts I talked to who watched the OHL last year thought that he was nowhere close to NHL ready, that, you know, he was uh, two, three, four years away. Maybe he'll make it, maybe he won't. Uh, you know, got, you know, looks like a, you know, a nice B-range prospect. So, I, you know, he's really been one of the major surprises uh, this fall. And if he can do this and be a useful NHL center for Boston as a 19-year-old, which again, he's so young. We got this is a week to week thing, month to month maybe. Uh, it, it changes the discussion quite substantially for for the Bruins for this season, where you like the defense, you like the goalies, you like the wingers, but but what can they do in the middle of the ice? Yeah, you know, I always say the preseason lies. I, I just like I I I I've seen too much of it where you know because you you can't make it like you can't make a decision that's like. When you're patient, you you typically don't make a wrong decision. Like you, you, there's there's not a lot of over marinating that can be done at this level. Um, but Poitra was a guy where you know I had him as a third rounder in his draft season, um, and I I saw a player that was wildly inconsistent in his draft season as well, and just you know like things, certain things would kind of go in and out of his game. And, you know, like you could see flashes. There were always a couple of flashes and now he's kind of strung all those flashes together to put together like competent, good hockey. I, you know, I watched the, his debut. I watched a couple of his preseason games and you see a player that is not over. He, he is not overwhelmed by the anything. Like he, he is poised with the puck. He makes good decisions. He's, he's a good passer you know, I think that he understands the kinds of plays that he has to make at the NHL level. And sometimes, you know, players that have that higher level of hockey sense and that higher level of, you know, uh, kind of an underrated skill set, um, once they're surrounded by NHL players, they play better. And and that doesn't always happen, but that seems to be the case with Patra right now. Now, I if I'm a Boston Bruins fan, I am not going to say based on his preseason or his first game that this is the answer in both the short term and the long term. I think it's way too early to say that. Um, but I would say the early signs are cons- are encouraging. And if you're a, if you're an organization like the Boston Bruins that is very light on prospects and has been for years, this is a significant development for your organization. And you have to be at least cautiously optimistic that you know you found something here with a second round pick in Matthew Poitras. Right. And I, I, like you said, you don't want to get uh, too encouraged and right. jump to conclusions right away because I've seen both sides of the story play out. I've seen the teenager who you didn't really expect to make the team make the team. And sometimes it works out spectacularly. Like sometimes it is Wyatt Johnson stepping in at, at 19 and doing great. Sometimes it is Ryan O'Reilly or 
the aforementioned Petrice Bergeron coming in as you know as a second round pick and doing really good right away. I've also seen the Villa Hanolas make the team at 18 and then never make the team again. Or you see like Victor Mete come out of nowhere as a fourth rounder and make the team in, in Montreal and a few years later he's a, a waiver candidate. It's you it, it's it's not always a straight line and it's not easy to both make the NHL and then it's very not easy to stay in the NHL. And it's even harder to stay in the NHL and help your team win games. So like you said, incur extremely encouraging actually early signs for, for the Bruins and for Matt Poitra. But but we'll see how the next few a few weeks and months go. You mentioned size as one of the the kind of question marks with Poitra. That is not the case for Fraser Minton, who has kind of the bigger body. Frankly, the bigger body that I think Toronto probably uh, needs to, to start injecting into their team. Easton Cowan got a lot of the headlines in the preseason, including from me. Uh, but I did like Fraser Minton at Traverse City, and on opening night, there he is playing a, a real role for the Maple Leafs. Is this a, a, a assignment that you expect, I guess, to stick for Minton throughout the season? We'll see. Uh, starts on the third line. Matt Nye's on that line with Minton. I thought Minton was just okay, frankly, in that first game. I think what you like about Minton is the hockey sense. He competes well. He's got good enough size, like you said. I don't think like the pure skill and the pure speed stand out really in his game. And I thought the pace looked a little quick for him in that first game. But we'll see. I think this is. I think in this case, this is a legit nine-game trial. You know, I've talked to some scouts who watched him in the preseason in the first game, and they think most likely situation is he heads back to junior after nine games. But but we'll see. Toronto needs him to succeed. Uh, they don't need him, but it would help them a lot because it helps them keep William Nylander on the wing and not have to put him into that center position. Uh, or they could put Yarncroft in the middle. I mean, they have options. But obviously, if Minton can actually look like an NHL player, it changes their depth chart quite substantially. Uh, it's a very promising preseason. Uh, but I think from what I've seen so far, it's, I think it's really 50-50 whether he's actually going to be part of their team this season. Yeah, I, I don't think I have quite the skating pace concern that you do maybe, but I do think part of that is just at the size and I think especially at the role that he's going to be asked to play. It is a difference when you're in that third line role that he's in versus high lineup for Boston where Pacha is. You don't see a lot of teenagers killing penalties in the NHL. and He was doing that for Toronto in the first game. Yeah. So that one will be interesting. Um, if we could take it out west here for a minute, guys, Matthew Coronado, he falls somewhere in between. I think we did expect him to be to be on the roster, here, so that he's not yeah. quite in the in the dark horse Poitra Minton category. Um, but what have you seen from him so far? He's another guy who who had a standout preseason. Yeah, you know, I watched him more in the preseason. I didn't get a chance to see his uh, his NHL debut, but you know what I what we've seen from from Matt Coronado and what we've seen over the last you know, three, four years is a continual progression of uh, a high-end goal-scoring ability that that I think will translate. I don't think he's going to be a high-end NHL goal scorer, but, like, I think that there's 30-goal potential in him um, and certainly a guy that is going to be, and not as a rookie, but just in as kind of the, the, the benchmark for his career. Um, but, you know, what we saw, he was one of the top scorers in the preseason for Calgary. He was put in a lot of good situations. You know, he's going to get time on the power play. He's going to get all those those good kind of situations. He's going to have to kind of ease into it a little bit. You know, he ended up playing about 13 minutes. So, you know, he's not necessarily immediately jumping into, um, you know, the, the, the lineup and, and, and dominating. But he, is, he was on PP1, though, for Calgary. Exactly. So game. that's – and that's – and, yeah, and that is really where, you know, he's probably going to get an opportunity to, to get a lot of that scoring done. But what I've also seen from Coronado – 
going from the preseason was I I liked the pace he was playing with. I liked the the way that he was handling himself with the puck. I thought that his puck skills were strong. I thought his competitiveness was right there. You know, he's he's got to do all those different things. Um, but you know, you see a guy that we, we've seen so many of these guys come from the NCAA move right into the NHL and and have some success. I think that he's going to be among those guys. I think that he's going to be you know an impact. Not you know not not a He's not going to be a star impact player, but I think that he's going to be a scorer for the for Colorado out the gate or Calgary out the gates. Um, And, you know, I just really like where Coronado is heading. And also, we've just seen this progression from when he was in the USHL to college hockey. You know, the way that he played at the World Juniors, um, you know, he continually elevated his game. And I think that we've seen that throughout his career and now into the NHL. Yeah. All right, before we let everybody go today, there, there is one bigger picture thing I want to ask you guys about, and that's in Los Angeles. For, you know, it seemed like two or three years there, we were talking about this as the gold standard pipeline, the, the gold standard prospect system in the NHL. It's right right around the time they get Quinton Byfield, they inject Brant Clark. If I'm looking at, when I'm looking at their lineup today, from, from where it's, you know, at the start of the season, you got Quinton Byfield on first line left wing, you know, with the center depth they've acquired, I don't think that's a problem at all. You got Alex Laferriere on the second line, just made his debut, got in a fight, made the McAfee show, as if we're going to keep referencing that, referencing that one on this episode. Uh, and you got Tobias Bjornfoot on the third pair D. Beyond that, you're not seeing so many of these names that we got so excited to see. And I, I guess I just kind of want to know, what's your read on the state of things as it relates to the prospects in, in Los Angeles? And Laferriere is only there because Kaliev got suspended. Right. So, I mean, and, and I think LaFerriere actually looked quite good in his first NHL game. Mm-hmm. I think he's been a success story early on in his development in the, in the Kings pipeline. Looks like a guy who I think has a chance to be a legit bottom six forward in the NHL. Uh, but I think that is, you know, you look at some of these rebuilding teams like Anaheim, like Chicago, like Montreal, who have gotten so many of these draft picks. Uh, there's a reason why you get so many draft picks. Kings did the same thing is... A lot of these guys that we're really excited about, a lot of them are not going to hit. And, or they're not going to hit in the way you expect them to hit. Uh, and, and I think that's just a part of the process that when you get, you know, five, seven, eight, nine really quality prospects, you're kind of hoping to get three NHL players, four NHL players. Like that, that's kind of what you're hoping for in terms of a hit rate. And, you know, we'll see. You know, there's still a big we'll see. You know, Turcotte might get some games for them this year. You know, Brant Clark didn't have an amazing camp, but he's obviously a fantastic prospect. And I expect he will get a plenty of opportunity with, with the Kings this season. You know, Byfield had to work his way for opportunities. But the Kings have turned a quarter now as an organization. They have gone from we're building up the pipeline, we're a young team, to no, we're trying to win the Stanley Cup this year. And, you know, they, they've tried to kind of, capture the, the second half of Anze Kopitar and Drew Doughty's careers here a little bit and, and try to get a couple more competitive seasons in. And it's tough to really lean on kids when you're trying to win hockey games. Yeah. I also think it's important to note too, some of these prospects were used in trades to acquire, yeah. um, you know, like getting Brock Faber to acquire, trading Brock, Brock Faber to acquire Kevin Fiala. Uh, Rasmus Kupari was part of the deal that, um, you know, that brought Pierre-Luc Dubois 
back and to Velarde. Yeah, Velarde, same thing. So, you know, that that's where some of those guys go. And and in that point, those are still assets that provided value to your organization in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, obviously, I think you look at the, the two guys that went in the in subsequent drafts, you have Alex Turcott and Quinton Byfield. Now, Alex Turcott has had a ton of different injuries and all these you know illnesses and other things that have happened that have kind of knocked him off track. Quinton Byfield, we also have to remember, lost an OHL season. He had to be shoved into the AHL because there was no OHL season. And that was probably earlier than he needed to. So it's taken him a little bit longer, but now we're seeing him kind of elevate. And now he's on the top line for the Kings. So what the questions, you know, obviously Brant Clark still very early on. We're going to find out about him sooner, you know, sooner. And then the last two drafts, the Kings have not had a first round draft pick. So it's going to be, you know, it's harder for those guys to, to make an impact later on. Um, fascinating to see how this all plays out, especially, you know, as this team basically has to, you know, we, we've seen that shuffling going on already guys moving up and down, you know, they're going to have to do some salary cap gymnastics and other things to make sure that they're, you know, on the right path and, and, and complying and everything else. But, you know, I, I do think it is, it is interesting. You kind of have to recalibrate your expectations on, on a lot of these guys, um, but then also you have those situations where this is a team that's competing. So they use some of those prospects for, you know, trade assets, which ultimately made them more competitive in the end. So, uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating to watch. I mean, I think that you look at um, various teams like how L.A. is doing it versus like, say, you know, how Carolina, you Carolina is kind of they were on a not a simple like basically when they got Svechnikov. It was like just before the Kings started kind of falling off. So like those are two teams that I've kind of been watching in parallel, you know, because Carolina has compiled draft picks, whereas, you know, L.A. in the last couple of years, it's not been as many, but they've been going for quality. So I'm, I, I've been watching those two quite a bit lately. I know people hate it when we do this. Well, me particularly, as they hate when I do this, whether our readers or people in the league. Just imagine whether the Kings or the Rangers had Tim Stutzel right now and and how those lineups would look. Yeah, I know. These redrafts, they do. Yeah, and they do hate it. Boy, do they let us know how much they hate it. But it it is true. I mean, you know, and and, I mean – you could say the same thing about the Rangers at this point. That, you know? oh, I, mean, I mean, it would change yeah. their center situation in such a dramatic yeah. way. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, and and that's that's the thing is like you look at and Alex, Alex Lafreniere, Alexi Lafreniere looked like, you know, can't miss. Definitely true. number one. And I, and um, I thought he looked really good in this first game. Yeah, he did. That, and that was very encouraging for, for, for New York as well. But it's just like you see Stutzla and we were talking about under 23 guys in the league recently. And it's just like, gosh, you have him. And and Jake Sanderson and, the, and Ottawa got them both in the same draft, and you might take those guys one two in a redraft. Yeah. So it's just crazy. Well, I think the one with the Kings is more interesting because yes. because that was that was a real decision point there. I think we kind of like I had, and this is not like hindsight BS. Where like when I saw see people like leak to the media after, oh, we really had this guy really highly rated. Like I actually did talk to a couple of teams, a couple of scouts in the lead up to the twenty twenty draft. I had Stutzla one. Uh, yeah. It definitely was not a majority opinion or close to it, but there was the odd team and scouts who who had him there. Uh, but but it was that decision was really in when the Kings picked. So that's where that, that's more right. interesting. Good. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I just hate that stuff when people like try to, you know, change history there a little bit. Like when people said that, I, I remember like after the 2017 draft, you saw a lot of leaks that, 
oh yeah, we were really big Nico Heischer fans, or no, we we really we hated Nolan Patrick. Like, yeah, uh-huh, sure thing. We loved <laughs> Makar. <laughs> yeah, that was our guy. We, Everybody had Ricard and Heisken in at one, except for the two teams picking at one and two. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. Uh, okay, so here's my thing. So in Turcotte is another guy. I think we all really liked Alex Turcotte at the time. Sure. Draft. It just hasn't gone that well. It looks like to me that based on what they have now, especially they make the Dubois trade, I think they can survive Turcotte not panning out. I don't think that's going to be a big long-term problem. The two that I think are key, Brant Clark's got to be a legit top 4D for them. And I think they do need to have a, a I, not just, I think, like a top six four, but I think when Kopitar, by the time Kopitar ages out, they are going to need Quinton Byfield to be able to be a, a, a difference-making center for them. If I told you you could only pick one of those two things to happen for LA, which one are you taking? So here's the thing. I think Byfield is a better player than Clark. Just the athletic profile is just so dramatically different. Six five guy who can really skate. Um, I know I would just and Clark I think has more offensive touch and, and better hockey sense, uh. But but I think so I just think Byfield's a better pro prospect. But I would say between those two scenarios, I would pick Clark being a legit top four guy over Byfield, based on what I've seen as a pro over the last few years, emerging as like this legit one C on a contender. I I haven't seen that player quite yet. I could see him be a two C on a contender. I'm not sure that I've seen a legitimate first line center on a team that's going to make a difference. Yeah, I think I, 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 I my initial thought was was Byfield, but to Corey's point, that the bar is I, higher. The bar is much higher in that yeah. situation, and and I I think with Clark as I really like you know I think Dowdy is fine, and I think I think Mikey Anderson has become a very good professional defenseman um but you need more and and you need to have i think to be a contending team you have to have a legitimate top four on your blue line and i think clark can be that and would need to be that for them would mikey anderson be as good if he hasn't been stable to dowdy for the last few years um i don't know but i mean together they're pretty darn good so they are they are no and and mikey's mikey's a good player i just like i said i just like I, i agree with you they need like some legit dudes uh, yeah. after Dowdy leaves. Yeah. And Dowdy has a little more time than Colbert. I mean, we'll see. Everyone ages differently. He's he's 33. He's got a little more, in theory, Kopitar can age out and they'll still get a couple more years of Dowdy, in theory. But it's uh, they're both they're both cr- crucial. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it does always come down to your stars uh, at a certain level. And so the, those are the, the two most important. Really good stuff today, guys. That is going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and on his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. In the meantime, you can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. We're going to be live streaming at least three episodes a week this season, plus a bunch of other content we're going to be putting up. We'll talk to you soon.